Praise God. Do you have your notes? You're going to need them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Benefits of worship. This is actually a... It's been uh, one year already since the Lord. I've always been a worshiper. Worship has always been a personal worship. has always been a very key part of my life. When I first came back to the Lord 30 years ago, uh, the Lord directed me in this way. And it was always a, if I can, it was always kind of a tool that I used to hear the voice of God. When I got into a situation, I would go into worship and I would spend time in his presence and it would help me to hear the voice of God and then I would know what to do. It was not something that was a daily part of my life though. It was more of a, like I said, the tool when I needed to hear God, then I, I had this to move into to hear from God. And it was about a year ago, the Lord really, uh, through a, some reading that I was doing in the Word, and the Lord really questioned me on something and really began to show me the depth that he desires for the body of Christ, the church, to live in on a daily basis. And it was a gift, a grace gift. Worship is a grace gift that's been given to the church to bring the understanding and to receive the fullness of the word of God into your life. And so that's kind of jump-started me on this. Let's take a look at Revelation 4.1. And this is kind of one of the scriptures that really, where he really caught my attention. This is talking about John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's exiled there. <clears throat> and... It says, after these things, Jesus has already, the Lord's already given him some revelation on the churches that he oversees. And then it says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. When you think of an open door... Uh, that could be symbolic as an invitation to enter in. I believe that while this word was specifically to John, it was uh, to, bring, <clears throat> to bring John into an understanding to actually write, the, write down the revelation that was given to him. It is also a prophetic call to the church, to the body of Christ today. I believe that God is saying to each one of us, I want you to come up here. I want you to come up into a higher place of living with me. Move past the areas that you know in churchendom or Christianity. And I want you to come into a deeper, richer, fuller life with me. I have some things that I want to show you. And when you hear that, you may have a tendency to say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not in full-time ministry. I'm just me. I'm just little old me. Why would God want to show me something? I'll tell you, because you're special to him, and he cares about you, and there are no minor players in the body of Christ. According to the Lord, each one of us are major players. Psalms 104. How do we enter into this open door? And it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. When we talk about the gates and we talk about the courts, this is talking about the tabernacle or the temple of God, where they had the outer gates where they would come in with thanksgiving in their heart. You know, that's the way we should come to church. Did you know that? 
When we drive onto the property, we should, start, we should actually start thanking him way before that. But when we come to the property, we should come with thanksgiving in our hearts. We should come expecting to commune with the life of God and to be touched by the life of God. And not only that, we should come with a word in our heart to bless our brothers and sisters who are in need. Did you know that it's not just the ministry on the pulpit, but each one of us are being equipped for the work of the ministry that God has given to each one of us. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. That word bless is the word barak. And it's a, one of the Hebrew praise words, but it actually is a word that, in my opinion, lends itself as uh, praise and moving into worship because of the description of it. It means to kneel. It means so a person kneeling, giving honor and reverence. To kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration. Reverence, praise, blessing. However, there's an extension of the word barak that actually means pool or pond. And so when you think about that, uh, to kneel, to bless God, reverence, praise, blessing, pool or pond, where do the pool or pond, where does that come in? It seems kind of archaic, like it doesn't fit there. Oh, it fits quite well. And we're gonna see that in the teaching today. Worship is a grace gift that's been given to the church. It opens a door where we're invited to come up to this higher place in life to experience the presence of God. A lot of times when we think of worship, we think that God is needy. God needs us to worship. It's a requirement that's been given to us. And we don't always feel like worshiping. And so we have to go through the motions because it pleases God. No, we have a wrong mindset if that's how we think of worship. God is not needy. Did you know he doesn't need anything? He's very complete. However, he desires our worship because he desires to have deep fellowship with each one of us. He wants to experience your love for him. He wants to, you to experience his love for you. I love the teaching that pastor does in OSL. And one of the statements that he makes is that we are God's daily delight. Do you look at yourself that way? You should. He delights in being with you. John describes in chapter 4 the worship that's taken place before the throne. Can you imagine? Here you are on the island of Patmos. You're exiled. You've got a word given to you about the churches, of which John was probably feeling at that time, what can I do about it? I'm on this island. I can't get to the churches. I, we don't have text messaging. We don't have email. Uh, I can't get over there to, to minister a word of correction to them. And he might have been feeling a little distraught and, and disheartened of how he was going to accomplish that. And all of a sudden, this voice talks about that there's a door standing open. And come up here, I want to show you some things. And all of a sudden, he's taken from that place where he was into the very throne room of God where there's lightnings and thunderings and God himself is on the throne. And there's all this, there's all this, there's angels there that are crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and they're bowing their hearts and their heads to the Lord, and the 24 elders on the throne get down and they kneel before the Lord, and this, he's thrust into this place of great worship that is taking place. And all of a sudden, they're crying out, holy, 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 and they bow down and they worship, only to rise again and go, oh, 
and receive a fresh revelation from the Lord that they didn't see a few minutes earlier. And the process starts all over. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. (gasps) And they're getting this continued revelation. And it's been going on for eons and eons of time. Did you know that you cannot exhaust the presence of God? You cannot exhaust the wisdom of God. He's eternal. And it says that day and night they do not cease. They are there of their own volition. They're not made to be there. They want to be there. They've got the best seat in the house, so to speak. They're right there in the presence of God, and there is no place in heaven that they'd rather be than right there before the presence of God, getting and soaking up his presence, his love. Did you know that the Bible says that God is love? And they're soaking in this love, and they're basking in his presence and the revelation of his being. Worship is a grace gift that the church needs to learn to begin to function in because it's there that we receive the fullness of what God has for each one of us. We're going to take a look today at Psalms 84. This is an awesome psalm. I used to, there's a certain part of it that I used to teach out of from time to time. And then all of a sudden the Lord began to show me that this whole psalm is a psalm of deep personal worship. It's written by the the heading on the authorship of the psalm. It says the sons of Korah. That really caught my attention. There are 11 psalms out of the 150 psalms that are, are given the authorship of the sons of Korah. If you know anything about Korah, that's not a good name. Back when Moses and Aaron, when God had established the priesthood, Korah rose up, one of the Levites, and he turned 250 other Levites against Moses and Aaron, stating that we're important too. Moses, you're running the show, you're running around acting like a prince, but we're important too, and we can do these things. We don't have to listen to you. Did you know it was God that established that leadership. And so they brought out, so then all of a sudden they brought out, God said, have them bring, fill their censers, bring their censers, and uh, we'll see who's, we'll see who, which one God accepts. And uh, all of a sudden God is talking to Moses and he says, I'm going to open the ground up and I'm gonna swallow up the households of, of Abiram and Dathan, and Korah. And if you read the story, you'll see that Moses went through the camp telling the people to back away from them, that this was going to take place. And all of a sudden, the people backed up, and when Moses quit speaking, all of a sudden, the ground opened up, and it says that in, it says that Dathan and Abram, in the doorway of their tents, they were standing there with their wives and their children. And then all of a sudden, the ground opened up, swallowed, they all went down, the ground closed back up, and there was no trace of them. And so I always assumed that it was that way with Korah's household as well. So when I saw this psalm authored by the sons of Korah, how can that be? Because their children were right there in the doorway with Korah as well. The Bible doesn't say that. The next event that took place after Korah, during that Korah's rebellion, was fire came out and burned up the 250 rebellious Levites. The next day, if you could believe it, 
The next day after seeing this great event, the congregation come before Moses and they accuse Moses by saying, it's your fault. You caused all this. You did this. And all of a sudden, they fell, on, they fell on the ground pleading before God. And God said that there was a plague that went out. And listen to this. 14,700 of the congregation died because of the rebelliousness. You have 250 Levites that died, plus the families of Dathan and Abram and Korah, you have just about 15,000 people that died in that rebellion. It wasn't, as I was searching through this, who were the sons of Korah, I ran across the scripture in Numbers 26, 11, and it says this, the sons of Korah, the children of Korah, did not die. What I believe took place is that when Moses was running around telling everybody to back up, to get away from them, that this was going to take place, I believe the children heard the voice, heard the heart of God. And they backed away from their father, stating, Dad, you're wrong. This is not right. And they had a sensitivity to God, being of the Levitical line, and they backed up with the crowd as well. And when those households went down, can you imagine seeing your father, your mother, your house that you were living in all of a sudden be swallowed up? Would that leave an imprint on the inside of you? I believe that it was at that time that the awe of the Lord, what we call the fear of the Lord, was birthed within these children. Now listen to this, that was 400 years before David's reign. Seven generations have passed, and guess who was raised up out of the Korah line? Samuel the prophet. He's from the line of Korah. Not only that, we have Samuel who did what? He's the one that God sent out to anoint David as king. Who, which, what did he say? I have found, sought for a man after my own heart who, who will do all of what I say. And sent Samuel to anoint David. David raises up as a worshiper, as a young man out in the fields. I don't know if you've ever been out in a dark place. My grandparents were farmers, and I remember way far away from the city. And I remember at nighttime when we go outside and just all the stars, it's like the sky just lit up. There were no city lights to destroy the beauty of God's creation. But you felt so small, and you felt like, even back then as a young boy, I felt like, that, like God was so majestic and so huge. And, he, and so here's David out tending the sheep, and he begins to worship God. And he's a worshiper as a young man. He's anointed king over Israel. And David ends up taking the sons of along with the sons of Korah, he appoints, listen to this, 4,288 singers and uh, musicians to worship before the presence of God 24-7. David understands worship. He understands how important it is. And if his kingdom, if, the, if Israel and Judah are going to prosper, it's going to because, because they know how to honor God. And they are giving God first place in their lives. So David is the one that establishes this. Let's take a look at Psalms 84.1 at the sons of Korah and how they feel about God. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. The word tabernacle is, literally means dwelling place, habitation, or tent. Two important things we need to see right off the get-go. 
And that is that when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, if you ask somebody what was given on Mount Sinai, most people would say the Ten Commandments, and you would be correct. However, that's not the extent of it. On Mount Sinai, the, the Jews understand that the Torah was giving, and so went given, and so the whole tabernacle structure and how worship was to be, the whole priesthood was given to Moses as well. So what can we say? We have the word that was given on Mount Sinai, and we have worship that was given on Mount Sinai. Those two need to, accom need to accompany our lives. We need to be worshipers, and we need to be functioning in the word of God. When we separate the word away from worship, or worship away from the word, we are living far below what God has positioned for us to live in. When we think of the tabernacle or the temple, we need to understand that that was the very place where the presence of God was, the very place of his presence. Listen to Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God, or the place of worship, and the presence of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, relationship, and be their God. Look at verse 1 again. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. We see here that this author of this psalm has a revelation of who God is, calling him the Lord of hosts. This designation, the Lord of hosts, in the Hebrew language is actually the words Jehovah Sabaoth. And it literally means this, God of the armies of heaven. The word Jehovah, whenever you hear the word Jehovah, it actually speaks of, of his self-revelation given to us. So in other words, it would be like this. So if you, if you think of Jehovah Shalom, which means God of peace. He is the God who reveals himself to you as your peace. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is our victory. He is the Lord who reveals himself to you as your victory. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is our healer. He is the Lord who reveals himself to you as your healer. And on and on. So there's a self-revelation of God in the word Jehovah. So here this worshiper, this man who's been appointed around the clock seven days a week to worship before the Lord, one of the revelations that he has received from the Lord from being in his presence is that God is the God who reveals himself as the, as the Lord who is the captain of the host or is the general of the armies of heaven. And I'll tell you, that, that ought to get you excited because if anybody comes across your path to do you wrong, who's on your side? You've got the God of the armies of heaven. I like that scripture in Romans 8.31. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Psalms 84.2. This man says, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Holy, 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 Lord God almighty. <gasps> Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. 
this man here is getting the same type of revelation. You know what's amazing to me? We're all born again. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you are born again. You are saved. And in doing so, you have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you. Isn't that wonderful? God is not a God who is far away. He's right here with me. Wherever I go, I take God onto the scene. He's with me every place. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm feeling. He can sympathize with me. He gives me encouragement. It's great to be born again. We're, many of us are filled with the Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. What a blessing we have to live in this time. But we're talking about a time period before Jesus ever went to the cross, back in David's day. And here's a man that is not moving in religious fashion, just looking at it as a job or an appointment that's been given to him. He has a true, sincere excitement to be in the presence of God. Why? How could that be? How could somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, somebody that's not born, how can they function in that? Because anytime anybody at any place in time has taken a step toward God, he's taken a step toward them. He has met them right where they are. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I was thinking of Psalms 91, and most of your commentators will say that Moses is the one who penned this psalm. And listen to what Moses said. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Most of your commentators will tell you that the secret place is speaking about the holy place of the temple or in the tabernacle. It's that place of God's presence. Psalms 84.3, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. And when you're talking about laying her young, birds giving, uh, giving birth, what is that talking about? It's talking about being fruitful in producing life. Fruitfulness in producing life. Life, And so what is the psalmist saying? Even the sparrow has a home. The swallow has a nest for herself where she may be fruitful in producing life. As I'm thinking about this, Psalms 22.3 tells us that God inhabits or is enthroned amongst the praises of his people. And let me tell you, where God inhabits your praises, his life comes to the forefront. Even the sparrow has found a home in the swallow a nest for herself where she may be fruitful in producing life. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. What is he talking about here? He's talking about a personal relationship. He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about the covenant that he's, that he's functioning in with God as God's people. Think about this, the tabernacle, place of your presence of worship and worship. The altar of sacrificing, bringing forth our best, giving you honor, Lord, 
has found a home in me. That's what the psalmist is saying. Your presence, your tabernacle, the place where you dwell has found a home with me. I want to be right where you are. Worship produces the fruitfulness of God's will. Oh, you've got to hear that. Worship is a grace gift that's been given to the church to bring forth the fullness of everything that God has given to us through his word. Psalms 84.4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Selah. This word blessed means this. It's a different word than the word barak that we read initially when, when, I, when I opened up. It's a word called asher, A-S-H-E-R. It could be E-S-H-E-R also. But it means this. It means to be envied, prosperous, and favored. In other words, you are so successful, you are so blessed, you are so favored, you are so prosperous that other people around you see it in your life and they are envious of what you have. Not your belongings, but of what you have that brought you into that place. And they are coming to you saying, I want what you have. What are you doing? Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they, shall, they will still be praising you, Selah. The word dwell there literally means this. It means to sit down, to dwell, to remain, to settle in the sense of taking up a homestead or staking out a claim. I like that. In other words, this person is saying, I have staked out a claim in God's presence, and I'm not letting it go. That's my spot, that's my claim, and you're not taking it from me. I've got this, and I'm going to continue in this. This is, my place for, this is the place for my life. This is where I need to be. I've got a revelation on this, an understanding of it, and this is the sweet spot of receiving all that God has for me. That word still, when it says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they will still be praising you. The word still is the word, it means properly, it means continuance, it means repeatedly. But listen to this, I love what the King James Version, how it says it, all life long. In other words, what is that? A lifestyle. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you all their life long. They've got an understanding of this, and no one will take this understanding away from them. They're not letting it go. They understand the benefit and the prosperity that God has blessed them with. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When we talk about the name of God, I just, I gave you a few names of God, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah uh, Sabaoth, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. Those aren't really names of God. They're really designations of who God is and what he will do. When we think even of Jesus, we think about Jesus Christ. Did you know that Christ is not his last name? He's not Mr. Christ. 
The word Christ is actually a designation, and it means this, the anointed one. It's a messianic title. It actually means greasy with the anointing. So when we talk about giving thanks to his name, this word name in the Greek language is the word onoma, and it means this, it means character, authority, and reputation. So when we read these stories in the Bible, what are we really reading? We're reading the reputation of God, how God delivered his people. That's a reputation. So as we read these things, we see what God will do. We can give thanks to his reputation. We can give thanks to his character. Why? Because he is not a man that he should lie. We can give thanks to his character because God is love, and we know that love always gives. We know that he's a great teacher. Because, because, because he's love. When we call out on him and you ask him to teach him something, he's going to teach you. And so we can give thanks to that, the authority of God in our life. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. When we think about this word sacrifice, oftentimes I've heard people and other ministers will even say this, well, when is it a sacrifice to praise God? Huh, when you don't feel like it, and then they'll laugh. ha, ha, ha. That is not what this is talking about. We've all been in that place where we don't feel like worshiping or praising God at that very moment. We've all been there. But that is not the time, that is not the type of sacrifice this is talking about. What this is talking about, remember, he is talking to Jewish people. Jewish believers, and they understood the word sacrifice because under the law, when you brought a lamb or a goat, a live animal to the Lord to be sacrificed for your sins, thank God Jesus was our lamb, our sacrificial lamb, but when you brought the lamb or your animal to be sacrificed, what kind of animal did you bring? Could you just bring any old goat? Maybe we could bring the one that doesn't walk too good. I know we've got this one, we got a blind one over here, he's blind in one eye. Maybe we can give that one to the Lord and we'll sacrifice that one. After all, all the good animals, we can get a pretty penny from them. We want to sell them. That's our livelihood. No, when you came to the Lord, what did you do? You had to bring your best. You had to bring the lamb without spot, without blemish. If you read Jewish history, the rabbis, they would actually examine the animal so closely, rubbing their hands all over the body of the animal, looking for any type of an imperfection. So much so that they even examined the eyelids to make sure there was absolutely no blemish. Why? They were bringing God their best. So when, when we read this, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. What kind of praise do we bring to God? Our best. Our very best. It's the height of who you are, your essence, as you're coming before God. How many of us, now don't raise your hand because I'd have to raise mine too, how many of us have been worshiping God and been thinking about where we're going to eat after the service? I've done it. I've caught myself doing it. And uh, there's times where I'll be worshiping at home, and all of a sudden my mind starts to drift, and I'm thinking about, because I've been doing a lot of sprinkler work here, I've been thinking about what I've got to do the next day and the day after that, and I've got, I'm planning, and I stop myself. 
And I apologized to the Lord, and I said, Lord, forgive me for that. And I, and I stop my, my thoughts, and I go back into worship. There's times where I've been worshiping the Lord. At next, I worship right before I go, go to sleep. I shut all the lights off, and I sit there, and I worship the Lord. And when I start to get sleepy, I stop. Because if I was to press in and continue, I'm not giving God my best. So when I get sleepy, I just stop and I say, Lord, thank you for everything. I'm going to go to sleep right now. And I just, and I go drift off to sleep. Praise God. Let us continually, day after day, make it a lifestyle. Offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Let's take a look at verse 5. Blessed, empowered for success, to be envied, is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. In other words, this person is going somewhere. They've got a, a goal in mind. They know where they're headed. The word pilgrimage literally means this. It means a raised way, highway, viaduct, elevated path. Come up here. Come up here, and I will show you things that you know not of. The elevated path, the highway, the viaduct, where God wants us to come up to. It's when, we get, when we're on this pilgrimage, we will receive the highest and best for our lives, his revealed plans and purposes for us. I like the literal, if you look at it, look at this, in the original language, it actually says this, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart are the ways. And what is implied there, whose heart are the ways of God. In other words, his highways, on his way to his destiny with God's plans, strength, and leading. That word strength there means this, strength or power in various applications. Here are the applications, force, security, majesty, and praise. So we see a, a real depth into this word strength. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Blessed in the man who is putting his heart toward you in continued worship and praise, who is recognizing your force, Lord, your majesty, Lord, and who finds ultimate security in your presence. Let's look at verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, as they, who's this talking about? Remember, this is talking about the people who are, who have their strength in God. These are worshipers that he is talking about. As they, the people who worship God, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. This word, uh, Valley of Baca, this phrase, Valley of Baca, it actually means this. It means the place of weeping or sorrow. It means a parched, dry land where there's no water, there's no refreshing. It could be quite possible that there are people here in this room today who feel like they're in the Valley of Baca. They're in a tough place. There's no hope. It appears there's no hope. They don't have any way out. They don't know what they're going to do at this time of their life. Life is tough. It's hard. But listen to what it says. As these people who have chosen to worship God, as they pass through 
the Valley of Baca. It doesn't say that they set up camp there. It doesn't say that they went to the post office and they changed their post office box, you know, to 123, P.O. Box 123, Valley of Baca. Please send all my mail here now. This is where I'm living. They're not saying that. They're saying, I'm passing through this. Yes, I've encountered a tough situation in life, but because I take time to worship and I know my God, my God has given me a revelation and an understanding that he is so much bigger than the natural circumstances of life. Then it says they make it a spring. What do you mean? You mean God makes it a spring, right? No, it says they, the worshiper, they make it a spring. They do something in their life that changes their, their circumstances. What is that one thing they're doing? They've learned about the presence of God. They've learned about the courts of God. They've learned to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and move into the deep courts with praise. And they've understood that they can come before their God at any time, lift their hands to him and be begin to worship him and love on him. And when they do that, they are cultivating, moving in that deep relationship that God wants to have with all of his people. And God's strength comes onto the scene and makes a difference in the situation. And all of a sudden, they make it a spring. My grandpa and grandpa, I told you, they lived on a farm. And I remember when I first went out, there was a little kid, the first time I went there, and I went over by the barn. You know, cows, little kids want to see cows. And so I walked over to the barn and everything, and I noticed there was water bubbling up out of the ground, uh, this one section of the barn. And there was greenery all around it. It was like a little pool of water there. And I looked at it and saw the water bubbling up, and my grandpa said, that's a spring. And it, it just amazed me that water could just bubble up out of the ground like that. So we'd go out into the pasture, and we'd bring the cows in, and there were springs all over on their, their farmland. And there were just these areas where spring, where life was bubbling up, or water, sustenance was bubbling up. And so as these people are worshipers, they pass through. They're not affected by the Valley of Baca. And they, because of their worship, cause it to become a spring instead. What's that talking about? An ongoing refreshing in their lives. And then, amen, amen. And then it says, the rain also covers it with pools. Remember in the beginning, I talked to you about that word barak and baraka, and the word baraka literally means pools and ponds. This is what it's saying right here. Interesting thing about the word barak. It's the only word that is used toward God when we bless God, and it's the only word of praise and worship where God uses it to bless his people. Amen. Look at Psalm 63.4. That word baraka means blessing, pools, ponds, and the root of bar the word, root word barak at times accompanies the stretching forth of the hands in adoration and honor. In other words, even when the priests would be using God's blessing over the people, they would stretch their hands out and they would bless the people with God's blessing. Look at Psalm 63, 4. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands to your name. Then let's look at Proverbs 18, 21. You know, we talk a lot here in this church about the power of our words, and we should, because your words are containers that can speak life or speak death. Look at Psalm, Proverbs 18, 21. 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Notice it didn't said that you might. It said you will. That's a pretty strong word. Death and life are in the power of your tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your tongue will either put you over in life or put you under in life. But I want you to see something. I want you to look at the word power. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Remember we're talking about Barak, that it includes the stretching forth of the hands. The word power is the word yod here. Everybody lift your hands up and kind of shake them. These are your yods. You're moving your yods around. Yods. Your hands are your yods. So when your wife tells you to go out and do some yod work, <laughs> just saying. And so anyway, that's kind of how they'd say it in Massachusetts, yod work. And so uh, death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Now, this really intrigued me when I found that out because there's a Hebrew praise word called yada. And the root of yada is the word yod, your hands. And the word yada literally means this. It means to hold out, to throw out the hand, especially to revere and worship with extended hands. Eventually, it, it came to denote songs of praise, to lift up the voice in thanksgiving, to tell forth and confess his greatness. One of the highest forms, or I should say the highest form of speaking life is through praise and worship of him. And those who love it, those who love worship, will eat its fruit. Oh, that's a good promise right there. You ought to get excited about that because this is talking about revelation, realization, and release or breakthrough in your life. This is talking about bringing the presence of God onto the scene at any junction in your life. Deuteronomy 39 tells us that the Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your yod, all the work of your hands. So how much more is this scripture true when we come to the Lord through praise and worship and we begin to lift our hands and to honor him from our heart, not just in repetition, but from heartfelt praise and worship where we begin to honor the Lord. Lord, I love you. Lord, I worship you. And I want to tell you, worship is not always singing. Some of you may be saying, well, I don't have a good voice. I can't carry a tune. I don't want to get into worship. Well, worship is not always singing, although it's a, it can be a part of it, very much so. But there's a time where you just get before the Lord and you begin to love on him. Father, I worship you. I honor you. I thank you so much that you're my Savior. I thank you for taking my sin and forgiving me. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit. Oh, I thank you, Lord for the plans and the purposes that you have for me on a daily basis. I thank you for your great love for me. Lord, I want to know you more. I want to experience you more. Oh, thank you for the ongoing revelation of who you are. Father, I thank you for your word that you've given to me, Lord, for all the precious promises that are yea and amen for me continually. Lord, I thank you and I worship you for that. And there is a time where you move into, Lord, I praise you, Lord. 
I worship you, my Lord and King. Lord, I honor you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. You just allow a new song to come out of your heart. And you allow words to come out from your heart. I want to tell you something. Singing to the Lord and worshiping him in that fashion, that is a facet of worship that is so expressive. And especially those who are baptized with the Holy Spirit, where you can shift into worshiping in your prayer language and singing in your prayer language. Uh, There is nothing like that. There's a time also where you move into those deeper courts with the Lord, and then you, shh, you get quiet. You sense his presence. And there's a time where you just get quiet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you just allow the Spirit of God to begin to minister to you and pour forth his knowledge, his encouragement, his love, We will allow him to minister to you, to bless you. All of those areas that I just described, that's all a part of worship. I know Keiko was asking me last night. She says, well, how much, how do you, do you you always sing in the spirit? How many time do you spend singing in the spirit? How much time? And I just said, I said, that, I don't do it that way. I said, when I come before the Lord, it's always fresh. I said, I don't go in with an agenda and saying I'm going to sing in the Spirit for 10 minutes, I'm going to sing in English for 10 minutes, and I don't do that. I said, I just go before the Lord, and I worship Him. And I says, I might start singing in the Spirit, I may two minutes later be in English, and then all of a sudden I'm just declaring my love for Him, and then 10 minutes into it I may just get quiet, and I may sit there for 20 minutes and just let the Lord just minister to me. I said, it's always different, it always changes, it's always now, it's always alive, it's always fresh. Look at verse 7, Psalms 84. Remember, this is talking about people who are worshipers. They go from strength to strength. This is talking about the people going through the valley of Baca that have chosen to make the Lord their everything in worship. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. In other words, what is this saying? You've got God's attention. You've got God's eyes upon you. You've caught his attention through worship. I like what it says in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It actually says here, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. It says, and God will be seen. They go from strength to strength, and God will be seen. I love that. And God will be seen. You will know, you will experience the presence of God when you get into your time of worship. This word strength is a little different from the other word that we were talking about. This word means strength, might, ability, efficiency, wealth, force. It also means an army. Remember we talked about Jehovah Sabaoth in the beginning, verse 1? This is talking about the Lord of hosts, the army, the promises, the fulfillment of God being on your side. They go from strength to strength, or we could say it this way. They go forth in his multiplying strength, winning battle after battle after battle. 
They go from victory to victory to victory. How many of you want victory in your life? How many of you, do you just want partial victory once in a while? Or would you like to have continued victory? Then you need to become a worshiper. You need to discover the depth of this grace gift that's been given to us and begin to set time aside and to worship the Lord. You know, when I first started doing this, I started just worshiping one time during the day. And I had 15 minutes just worshiping the Lord. I got so much out of it, I went to twice, I, I shipped, I got to do two times. So I did morning and evening. I thought right when I wake up and right when I go to bed. And so I had those two times going. Well, then it went from 15 minutes. I had such a great time. I went to a half hour. And then I decided I'm going to do this. I'm going to take part of my lunchtime. I'm going to eat my lunch real fast. And then I'm going to take my lunch and I'm going to worship. So I closed my office door and I worship right in the middle of the day. And so I have got a song in my heart throughout the day. I, have, I am cognizant of the presence of God throughout the day. And let me tell you, I have needed his presence. Doing these sprinklers, trust me, I have needed <laughs> his presence. And there are things that I ran into problems out here and I did not, I've done some of this stuff before. I did not know how to solve it. And I remember digging the hole out, I'm looking at this and somebody who had put those these in before, did it in a way that I wouldn't have done it, and they made it difficult for me. Let me just say it that way. And as I looked at that, I remember thinking, what am I going to do here? And the Lord just, boom, gave me a picture of it, showed me, and I went, oh, that's easy. And I went and got my tools, and boom, took me just a few minutes, and I, I had that rerouted and redone. And I remember going online, I was trying to buy some parts that we needed here, and I saw a handbook from a landscaper, and I learned, and this landscaper said, you need to put in swing joints. And he's talking about these swing, he said, this is the proper way for doing it. And it's a publication by Rainbird talking about this. And I looked at it, and I said, that's exactly what the Lord showed me to do. It's exactly what he showed me to do. And so, when you get, when you begin to worship God, you run into difficult situations in life, boom, you've got the understanding and the know-how because you will go from strength to strength. You will go from victory to victory. Think about this. If you're a parent, if you're a business owner, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a husband or a wife, you really need this, okay? Trust me. You really need this. But think about any area. If you're an investor, especially in these times, you need to be hearing from the Lord and you need his wisdom on how to invest, how to run. I'm telling you, if I was a business owner, oh, there is no way I would not be a worshiper. There is no way. And my business would flourish. We all need to be in the presence of God. Look at verse 8 and 9. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed David. He looks at, when he says, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed, he's talking about David, King David. And so who is David? David is the one who was a worshiper. David is the one that when he became king, he saw the need for the presence of God and brought correction into Israel and Judah by taking and reestablishing 4,288 singers and musicians 
that would worship, do nothing other than have rotating shifts 24 hours a day, seven days a week, making sure that there is praise and worship going before the presence of God. And such a blessing came to Israel and Judah that their territories expanded. When you get into Solomon's time, David's son, Solomon had complete peace all around. Where do you think that peace came from? Those victories were won in worship years in advance. I was recently, uh, I had encountered this last year some very difficult things in ministry where I had to make decisions for certain things, and some of them, one of them in particular, was, was huge. And ended up praying, the Lord showed me a person to bring into this ministry, and I brought, asked this person if they wanted to be in it. They were, say, yes, I want to do that ministry, yes. And I brought that person into it. I really thought the transition was going to be very difficult. That transition was the easiest transition I have ever seen in 30 years of ministry. It was quick, speedy, Excellent. It just, there was, there was no problem, no ramifications, nothing. It just went, it was smooth and it just took off. And I remember going before the Lord said, I really thought that was going to be difficult. He says, well, why did you think that? He says, you already won that victory about a month ago in worship. And that's when I began to see something here. He, and the Lord told me, he says, by being in worship on a continual basis, day after day after day, he says, there are victories that you are winning before you ever have the need for the victory. I'm telling you, you need this in your life. You need this. Genesis 51 15.1 says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Security and freedom from fear, which is rampant in our world today, are dispelled when we are in the presence of Almighty God. Psalms 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. What is he saying here? One day in your presence, one day, Lord, in your courts is better than a thousand days anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God the tabernacle, the place of his presence, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. The children, the sons of Korah were gatekeepers. They, were, they took care of the showbread and they were also musicians and singers. But notice the heart of this worshiper for, that is hungry for the presence of God. Exodus 33.11 says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Wow. As a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now Joshua could not go in and talk face to face with God like Moses did. But Joshua understood that the presence of God was there. Look at the heart of Joshua. He says, I'm not leaving. This is where I need to be. You've got all the answers. You know everything. You're God Almighty. I need what you have. And there's Joshua around the tabernacle worshiping God. And we see if you read Joshua's life, you see what God did with this man. He did great things with Joshua. Why? 
because Joshua had a heart for God. He was a worshiper. Look at Psalms 84:11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. Oh, I love this. No good thing. No good thing. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That word uprightly means entire, complete. It means to be whole. It speaks here uh, in, a in a reference of lifestyle of giving honor or, put, or worship, putting first things first. We could call that a right conduct for the believer. But look at the attributes that come forth. Sun, what is the sun? It gives light, it gives illumination. We could say it brings forth revelation or a revealing of certain things that are hidden. The sun also does something else. It gives you life. It brings forth life. It enforces life. You take the sun away and this world will go into an absolute zero configuration and all life will cease to exist. Shield speaks about God's protection and freedom from fear in the established covenant, which is talking about what? Security. When I hear somebody talking about that they're afraid or they feel so insecure, you know one of the first things I say to them? You need to, you need to start worshiping the Lord. Because when you begin to worship the Lord, he becomes bigger in your understanding than, the, than what the circumstances that are taking place on the outside. Grace. Well, we all know what grace is. If I was to ask uh, a Nazarene, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, if I was to ask anybody, any Christian person, what is grace? Give me a definition of grace. O almost, you would probably hear everybody say, it is God's unmerited favor. And it is. We didn't deserve it. It's God's unmerited favor given to man. Absolutely right. But did you know that grace is more than that? Grace also entails empowerment. God's empowerment. Sometimes you'll hear the word anointing, but it's God's empowerment in our life. Thank God that we all have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, right? Empowerment. We've been given his word. Empowerment. When we come into his presence through praise and worship and sitting before his presence and worshiping him and adoring him, he fills us up with his strength and his understanding of his will and how to, do, how to get through in life. He knows where you're going to be tomorrow. He knows where you're going to be next week. He knows what you need, empowerment. And he will give glory. Glory is the word kabod in the, in the Hebrew language, and it literally means, I don't know if you're from the 60s, you remember the word, hey, that's heavy, man. That's heavy. Well, that's, that's God's glory. He's heavy. The word literally means heavy. It means weighty. It means the fullness of God. It's God's life and presence that is manifested in ours. And it really means this. It's the essence of all of who he is and all of what he has. It's, his, it's the fullness of his essence. Yes, God is heavy. It's the experiencing of his righteousness, his life, his glory, his brilliance, his love that brings forth transformation of the heart and produces uprightness in our actions. Let's end with verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed to be envied, prosperous, favored, is the man who trusts 
in you. This word trust is talking about security, confidence, and assurance. This psalm began with worship in his presence, and it ends with the benefit of his blessing. The fullness of trust in God is realized in its entirety in worship. Psalms 50:23, my last scripture. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. When we talk about this word conduct, listen to this. This word literally means this. It means a road. It means the course of life. It means the mode, a mode of action. When we say it means a road, it means you're traveling somewhere. Remember the word pilgrimage? You're on your way somewhere. It means, also means setting foot on territory or objects. If you remember in the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua, this word is used of taking possession of the promised land. In other words, God has set forth blessings for us. It's up to you to take hold of those blessings. And one of the greatest ways that we take hold of these blessings is through developing a life of praise and worship. Personal praise and worship sets us up to possess the promises you can have as much of the promised blessing as you desire to possess. My question to you is how much do you want to possess? Become a worshiper and discover your destiny. There's an open door invitation for you through worship to come up here and I will show you. Come up to this place. Take a step up. And allow me to pour into your understanding the deep things that I have for you in this life. Praise is the highway that faith moves its blessing down. Praise God. Praise God.